everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This is a special, like, interstitial episode between seasons where we decided just randomly we're going to discuss the Pauly Shore movies. The, uh, I would say, like, the ones where he was the main star, because we already did Encino Man a couple years ago, or a couple seasons ago. And, um, so I really count the beginning of his stardom as son-in-law. I'm Michael, and that's John, by the way. Hi, I'm John. <laughs> I probably should have done the introductions earlier. <laughs> um, I did leave one off, though. Uh, at the very end of his career, Curse of Inferno. Um, it's free on Tubi if you want to watch it. It's actually pretty good, but it just didn't fit in the format that we wanted to do. We wanted to do the theatrical ones. Well, he's also apparently the main character in a uh, animated Pinocchio movie, I guess, that came out a couple years ago. What is Polly Shore? Yeah. That's weird. I mean, I know he's been in some movies since, but I just remember, like, there was that initial run that they had signed him to a three-picture contract when they did Encino Man, so they already knew that they wanted to continue working with him, which is interesting. So I wonder if they didn't expect him to be the star, or they were just like, well, we'll just have two other movies you could be a support in. Well, you know, it always seemed like he was a second banana, so they were kind of seeming like they would not necessarily turn him into the leading the leading man of stuff as much as try and surround him with other people. But then again, son-in-law, he is the lead. Yeah, flat out the lead. And I think Encino Man did way better than they expected. I mean, $50 million for like, what, it was a $9 million throwaway before Memorial Day kind of movie. It was just like a filler to wait until summer movie came in. And, uh, you know, surprised everybody. So, you know, they decided to move him up to lead. And son-in-law is a really great project because, and it kind of said the format for what he was going to do is that he's kind of outrageous and crazy, but he was very sympathetic. You know, they, they hinted at that a lot in Encino Man, but making him the lead where he's just kind of eccentric, not really a shitty person or annoying, which is a problem that would uh, ruin the movies after he left Hollywood Pictures. Yeah, because that's the thing with, with Son-in-Law is he's basically just a good-natured goofball. Yeah. You, you don't hate him and it's you especially because it's a culture clash film where you have his southern california surfer dude uh to the extreme weird guy uh going into these conservative midwest uh farmers Mm -hmm. and the family is there to basically just be the reactionary uh thing to his his whimsy I, I still think that the whole family gets something to do, whereas it's not just the generic like give him everything to watch, you know, to you know for the audience to watch. But they actually give a lot to the rest of the cast, I think. Yeah, and what's kind of funny about the film is who do you, who do you really think is the villain of this piece? Because I'd say it's Rebecca. Oh, cause, yeah, because she uses him. Yeah, she is. She is objectively terrible in this entire film. Travis is a dickhead, you know, but, you know, in a way, he's reacting appropriately, I guess, up until, you know, the the bachelor party thing, but he's kind of coming in, doing, you know, oh, I'm proposing to my girl. Wait, she brought along this thing. Yeah. (laughs) And then, then you know, he announces weirdly that they've already, you know, proposed and it's like you have a hard time if you really think about it hating 
Travis until he, you know, roofies, uh, roofies, but, you know, him and, uh, the girl he's sleeping. Right, um, Tiffany Everthesen. You know, it's, he's a scumbag, sure, but then, you know, it's like, until that point on, he's not necessarily really the villain as much as, again, like I said, Rebecca, who just uses Crawl to, uh, escape what she, you know, what she was expecting, you know, she saw coming instead of just being the grown up and going, I've changed. I'm just going to create this elaborate fantasy to uh, fuck around with everybody and put this, uh, my uh, well meaning best friend in the most awkward situation of his life. Yeah, it's it's she's definitely uh, a user, and thank God she has a turnaround. I mean, it's kind of predictable with the movie. There's nothing really groundbreaking with this at all, but I love the fact that it just they welcome, you know, crawl later in the movie, and they start talking like him. And I thought it was so funny because Lane Smith is like known to be like the <laughs> well, the, the most like ultimate waspy guy during this era. <laughs> if it's a rich, powerful white guy, it's him. And just yeah. having him talk like, let's get some grinding, John, buddy. <laughs> I never get tired. I'll say this, Polly Shore is tired of people doing that back to him because we went to uh, Comic-Con a few years ago where they're doing a panel for uh, a Goofy movie. Every single fucking person that got up to talk to him didn't actually talk to him about anything. They just uh, did his like impersonations to him. He's like, uh-huh. I'm like the 12th one. He's like, you know what? I got to go call my agent and... Tell him this is a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I remember read, uh, not reading, but listening to an interview with him a couple of years back, and it really surprised me because, you know, he had put on this character for so long that you do kind of forget that that's not necessarily who he is when, you know, when the cameras are off. Right. Like he knows how to play to the camera in that persona, and you're so familiar with it, and then you just kind of start listening to him talk about. It's like the, you know, it wasn't. I wanted this like like the craft of film or anything like that. He was talking about comedy. He was talking about a whole bunch of stuff, and it was interesting to listen to him talk. And at no point is he ever, you know, yeah, buddy, you know, or anything like that. Yeah, it was just a character he started doing on MTV that took off. And I remember they tried replacing him. Do you remember Randy of the Redwoods? I don't remember Randy of the Redwoods, but I, I do remember a few of those DJs that, you know, were in, like, kind of, not necessarily trying to do him, but in that same vein at the same time. But yeah, well, there's always, like, they, they seem like to be pushing eccentric characters because they then they had, uh, I can't remember, he played Artie. Uh, the strongest man in the world on Pete and Pete. I mean, he's a well-known actor now, but remember he was uh, like the Frank Sinatra promotional guy, and they had Dennis Leary doing commercials, yeah, and uh, whatever that greasy character that uh, you know the cab driver with the his, the big glasses and really greasy hair and always turn around towards the camera and talk to you while he's trying to drive. I would. I'm sure if I if you played it, I would immediately go, oh yeah, that. Yeah, Donald Logue played him, but I can't remember the name of the character. But I'll send you some of these because uh, after that broke out um, and, and Polly Shore left, they were like, well, you need a replacement, and it never stuck. I mean, even they had that fucking weirdo that very first year of uh, like audition to be a VJ. Do you remember? And they had Dave Holmes, and everybody's like, well, Dave Holmes is clearly the one that's meant to be a VJ. 
But look at this tall scarecrow freak show, Jesse. Uh, oh, Jesse yeah, Camp. That, that was the guy I was thinking of. I'm going that that weirdo. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, they tried replacing him for years, and it just it haunted him because if you watch some of the movies he did before this, where he played much smaller roles, he's not so much the weasel. But that would haunt him for years. And I think I remember he stopped making movies, um, and I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think it was because con- like he couldn't get another contract. You know, a lot of comedians do direct to video movies for years, but. I remember he did that TV show on Fox that only lasted like 13 episodes called Polly, where he, it was quite a bit different. Yeah, looks like I remember that last film, it was, uh, Polly Shore's Dead. Yeah. Well, and he did a couple in the last few years where he kind of recaptures that because it looks like he needs some money. Um, but yeah, Son-in-Law really, I think, is the peak of that personality. And you can kind of see... Um, with the next film in the army now that it was time to change things up you know he cuts off his hair he puts on a bunch of muscle and he still has what's every movie has a character um yeah like bones or something yeah okay like so bones is the one in the army now and squirrely is the one in uh biodome i can't remember what the one in uh jury duty is i don't think it was he... it was tom collins it was what is the character's name was Tom Collins, like the drink. Oh, okay. Like, uh, calls him uh, Tommy. Okay. So no, no real, no animal nickname in that. But um, in the army now is probably the one with the biggest budget and best production value. Um, I, I, it's for me, it's my favorite one. But um, I can see why it was kind of the end with Hollywood Pictures. They probably said, "Well, we got nothing else to do. You know, give this guy that is different." Because essentially he still is playing the same character in the army now. Yeah, and what's funny about that is that okay, he and Andy Dick uh, are, you know, well he convinces Andy Dick to go and join the army with him, the army reserve, as water purification specialists because you know uh, they don't understand the need for pure, purified water in a combat situation, or even you know pay attention to any of the political climate of the time. So. Of course, uh, they would end up going to the Middle East to do, you know, to be water boys. <laughs> We're the water boys. <laughs> and what's, at, the, at this time, we also had Laura, uh, Lori Petty, who, oh man, such a, you know, especially in the, the string of films in that time, just one of one of those uh, one of people that just might might fell in love with on screen. Yeah, I mean, this, this she's the best part of this movie. Yeah, she's she's the most fun. I feel bad for David Allen Greer because his character is written so inconsistent. Oh, yeah. And he tries. You can see that he is really trying, and he has absolutely nothing to work with. And you can... It's not that you can't see, like, I you know, the, the dead in his eyes, you know, sort of sort of thing, but it's that... You know he is just so annoyed in this film the entire time because he isn't allowed to play. Right. Or, well, he was always or, the best part of In Living Color, and at this point, I believe he was... I'm pretty sure he was gone from In Living Color for the last season. And he had just done Blank Man, which... Holy fucking shit. What a... Wow. I can't believe that everybody's like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I... I genuinely would like to see it again just to shake my head at why did I do this to myself? Because that's 
I remember seeing that not in theaters when it came out, but when it hit video. And at that time, I probably, well, I definitely was too old to have see, to see it because that was ninety four, so I'd been like thirteen or something like that. But it's like, even at thirteen, I'm sitting there going, "Why did anyone think this was a good idea?" Yeah, it is so poor taste, but. And this opened up almost like the same exact time as that too, so it must have been weird for David Andrew. But I can see him signing up for this just because it gave him something different to do. You know, not a lot of people get to do war movies, even like the comedy stuff. And I think everybody wants to do, like secretly wants to do a war movie and a western. It just seems like, you know, the two genres that kind of fade away. Um, this is like the beginning of that whole uh, era of uh, military comedies that were never really that successful. Do you remember there was Renaissance Man, I think was the first one. I um, love that one. I've never seen it, and I keep waiting for it to be on sale. So sadly, we didn't get to do it for this episode. Um, so and then there was this, and then there was a small break, and then we had, like, uh, Down Periscope, Sergeant Bilko, and Mikhail's Navy. I feel like there's another one in there somewhere, but all of them just really didn't do very well. Well, those, well, like, Mikhail's Navy and Sergeant Bilko were, were already also known quantities. Yeah. Because you know, they're, TV, they're TV things. Down Periscope was just, yeah, kind of there. <laughs> this, it... It definitely felt like we wanted to do a Stripes-like film, but not commit to that. I, I, I want to say this is also probably, I think this was originally more of an R-rated film. I can see that, yeah. And it got, and it got cut, and things got cut out, not necessarily filmed, but cut out to make it more PG-13. I think it's PG at this point. But, uh... One thing I'm curious because I'm torn between if this is overly homophobic or weirdly should have been homophobic and yet comes off as not. Yeah, that's the thing I've never. It always feels like Polly Shore movies play around with that because there is a bromance in Encino Man. Clearly, um, yeah, they don't really say anything. I don't remember in in the army or uh, uh, son-in-law, but in this one there is. But there's definitely a ton of it in. Uh, Biodome. I mean, if you ask me about Biodome, I would say you know those two fuck. <laughs> they're they're bisexual. Um, oh, totally. But with this one, it's because there was the you know the army's don't ask, don't tell policy. Eddie Dick and Polly are trying to get out, so they're pretending that they're gay lovers. And I'm torn because in some ways it feels like the the, the commanding officer isn't. I mean, it, it's obvious he knows that they're full of shit. They're trying to get out. And so he's making, you know, he basically tells them to kiss each other to basically prove to me that you're gay, which then that's, and then they can do it thus kind of like the slightly homophobic angle of two two gay men kissing. Yeah, well, if you you ask me right now, uh, oh, hey, would you like to go into the military where you can get filled with bullets or you just want to smooch a guy once? Yeah, I'm smooching the guy once. Yeah, and well, part of it really does feel like you know where how the actor who's playing their CEO is playing that is he's he doesn't necessarily care if they're gay or not. He's actually he would if it's a weird reading that I that I got from it watching it this time around. Where it almost feels like he would have been okay with that even if them being kicked out. But it's he knows they're full of shit, and thus he's basically just making forcing them to make themselves uncomfortable. They really are going to commit to leaving. It's like, all right, prove it. Don't don't pretend that you're something that you're not. And it's like, I don't know if I, 
I've said they're trying to figure out if that's just Nagy's homophobia or was there actually something there that I'm now seeing. Right. Well, wasn't this at the very beginning of the Don't Ask, Don't Tell? I think it was was into it a little ways. Yeah. But, yeah, it's... I don't know. You watch things, and as you get older, you start seeing different... seeing things different ways. This one, this one feels a lot of improv was thrown into this. But also, if you look at the writers, Fax Bar and Adam Small, they would work with Polly over the years, and they were the guys who ended up being the showrunners for Mad TV. And I can see like they were probably hired at the last minute to take the script and skew it more in in his voice. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if I, I like this one, but I also say that of. All of his films. This is the third, my third favorite and last favorite of what he did. Yeah. Um, the uh, This is the end of also the Brendan Fraser showing up in a cameo as supposedly Link. <laughs> yeah, he just keeps, keeps showing up as Link and he's, I guess, uh, apparently Link becomes very competent and becomes a, uh, a decent American soldier. Who knew? <laughs> the uh, I wonder how they got his birth records. <laughs> the uh, there's a, a military leader at the end that I really enjoy. He's like one of those blocky guys played by Art Lafleur, and his uh, tone on the walkie-talkie just kills me. <laughs> Tell me to shut up one more time. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the next one is where you can see the wheels had fallen off. Now apparently he did not continue. Uh, his contract with Hollywood Pictures for numerous reasons because A, they paid him pretty low. That was part of his contract, but they gave him better projects. And then he got a huge payday to do Jury Duty, which wasn't a TriStar picture originally. It was an independent production that would be picked up by Triumph, um, which was a weird like subsidiary of TriStar, whatever. And you can see the budget's much higher. Um, for numerous reasons. A, because it's now in the city and there's tons of different settings or whatever, and the cast is pretty large, but this was when he finally got a big payday. And I gotta say, this is where he made a bad decision. I remember seeing this in theaters going, oh, this doesn't work at all. I I definitely didn't see this one in theaters, and yeah, this... This is probably, of the films that we saw, this is definitely the worst one. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and but that's that's a narrow margin considering biodome. <laughs> but uh, and part of it is, especially with the humor in this film, it tries every now and then to do airplane style. Yeah, that's the only the one difference between all of his movies that it has kind of a parody element, which it doesn't really fit. And then and yeah, and, and I know going into any comedy. You don't necessarily need. You, you don't have to leave a sense of realism at the door. But let's be honest. For starters, you can't. And I've been on too many, like actually being called in physically to jury duty very many times. But I don't think you can just wander from courtroom to courtroom and pick the jury that you're going to be on. No, no, absolutely not. I, I don't think that's how it works. You usually and, show up once, they turn you down, and then that's it. You, you, you fulfilled your duty by showing up. Exactly. And then 
by you know him getting on this on this thing, uh, Shuri. By D two, he would have been kicked out. Oh, absolutely, because he was a disruptor and he was asking questions that he shouldn't be even interrupting. Period. You know, and and by that point, it's like especially the penis envy thing. There's no way he would have lasted to the end of the trial. They would have been done with him. And it's like it's hard to watch a film where it's set in a very very strict rules thing that can easily be you know altered you know with this with the disruptor and no one did anything about it really just the second he showed up on the television dodging that little thing promoting the hotel he would have been removed yeah yeah and it's like yes we we both uh yes dear listener we do know it's a comedy and it's not real, <laughs> but there's there's a, there's a certain amount of you know accepting you know your disbelief that uh, it becomes hard at times. Yeah, well, I think the biggest problem in this is um, just like in Biodome, his redemption is completely insincere. I do not believe it whatsoever. He's an a hole, and all of a sudden he becomes like this servant of the community or whatever trying to get this innocent guy off and that story-wise that's believable but his character is not yeah there's yeah there's nothing about about this character that is really redeemable i would argue a little bit on the biodome side not not a lot not a lot but i would argue a little bit that there's a little bit more redemption I can accept on their on their part. I think it's so funny that uh, the director of this, you know, showed his reel or whatever to Lorne Michaels, and Lorne Michaels said, "Yes, you get to direct Night at the Roxbury." Huh? <laughs> no, that that makes perfect sense to me because I hate Night at the Roxbury. Yeah, I like it, but it's just weird that Lorne Michaels would pick him of all people. Well, I'm sure that that was not his first pick. Oh, you know what? I forgot. I'm pretty sure he was a director on the Ben Stiller show, and that's probably what endeared him to him. That, yeah, that, would, that would probably have helped his case more. Yeah, the uh, the homophobia, transphobia, or whatever you want to call it in this one, is yeah. odd because at some points they're like, oh my god, it's a man! And then all of a sudden, like, Polly Shore... You know, his inconsistency with like, oh, well, I'm going to fuck you now. And then Polly Shore's like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. He really like, muddied the waters on what he was trying to say with it. Yeah, because there's, there's, this is just not a good movie. Yeah. Um, the final film of this group is Biodome, the, of course, the last theatrical release of his. Uh, I also saw in theaters. <laughs> um, at, I, don't, I don't know if I did or not. I think i saw this in theaters but then part of me goes i think i saw it on video but i i genuinely can't remember this is uh this is the end of his run obviously because it didn't make anywhere nearly as much money i think people were tired of his shtick by this point plus the last script was so bad and um you release you dump this in january and that's gonna be a problem too the thing that worked for the poly shore movies that were with hollywood pictures is that they were all summer releases so that can play every single day to kids that just don't want to be out in the heat, you know? So you have like a month. Here you have like a weekend, maybe two at best. No one's going to travel to the theater in the snow to see this, you know? And 
it's kind of the curse of also like the um the Cheech and Chong movies where it was too much repetition of the same thing. But I will say this, unlike Cheech and Chong, the as bad as they are sometimes, they still have legitimate plots. Yeah, this this was barely anything hung on hung on a plot and what what really hurts this film is the fact that both our heroes, you know, uh, Stephen Baldwin and Polly Shore, as well as their girlfriends, are shitty people. Oh yeah, absolutely fucking stupid, annoying pests. I mean, it's this is like just unredemptive, annoying crap from them. Yeah, it's. I will say, I, I will give the that the last third of the film where you get where they have the redemptive thing is the better part of the film. It finally. I almost want to say figures out what it's what it is by that point, but you're an hour into the film, and by that point, it's you know it's like why am I why have I not walked out by this point? Yeah. But I will give this William Atherton is the best thing in this film. Oh, absolutely, he is uh, unhinged and, and wild, and just he's, he's so much fun to fun to watch especially when he goes crazy at the end and again that like I said, that's partially where everything goes finally clicks for me as a film but it, yeah just you can't really enjoy Stephen Baldwin and Paul Shore's antics in this thing because it's just nothing that they do is funny no there's it, certain, well the only thing that I laughed hysterically at and I still enjoy is when they get into the uh, the gas. Oh, and he thinks he acts like a duckbill platypus. Yes, duckbill platypus is an inside joke with me and my sister <laughs> ever since this came out. I don't know why I love it so much. You know, the rest of it, I just, I'm, especially as I get older, I'm so exhausted with their bullshit. And I'm like, you guys are fucking assholes. You're derailing. But I also don't believe, was, okay, so was it a time lockout and they couldn't let them out? Is that it? Yeah. And the entire, the entire film, they're, overrid it and let them out and start over again but you know you wouldn't have a movie then well, well they could that was actually that was a plot point and the fact is because they had so much money built in to this to this thing and William Atherton you know demanding that they don't that they don't do this because of science they created the bullshit reason of uh, you know chaos theory but that but that is brought up but yes ultimately they would have just Everyone could have just sat there and went, okay, we're going to delay this a week. We're going to clean this place, you know, top to bottom, and then we'll start the experiment anew. Yeah, I think it's funny is the guys who produced this would, <laughs> based on, I don't know, this movie or what, but were soon given control of Orion Pictures, which MGM had acquired during their bankruptcy. <laughs> and 
Yeah, if you see Motion Picture Corporation of America, they really only had one hit movie, and that was Dumb and Dumber, which made so much fucking money on such a low budget that, you know, they, they got funded for so many things, like they did this and Beverly Hills Ninja and stuff like that, and all of a sudden MGM's like, give them Orion! <laughs> Why? No one gave a shit about Orion. They put out like six movies. That was it. Uh, well, sometimes you fail upwards. Yeah, um... Well, I guess I guess Dumb and Dumber really did make a fuck ton of money. I'm trying to see if they had any other hits during this time, and everything else is just a uh, Kingpin. Okay, Kingpin fucking rules. That was produced by them, but uh, other than that, nothing really of note that I uh, would say. Yeah, give them a studio. <laughs> Boat trip? No. Yikes. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, they're still making movies, but now they all they do is make movies for a fucking Hallmark Channel. Yuck. Yeah, I don't understand why Hallmark Channel, like I was saying earlier, Hallmark Channel used to be a place where, well, not Hallmark Channel, the Hallmark uh, production company. They, they did Lonesome Dove. That was like their debut. You know, and for like a decade, they did really high-end network TV movies and miniseries. And then one day they just said, fuck this shit, let's do garbage on our own channel. <laughs> well, who does that? <sighs> oh, lordy lord. All right, so that is the end of this episode of The Four. What is your favorite? Uh, my favorite is, is Son-in-Law. Yeah, mine's in the army now, but I, I understand that Son-in-Law is the better quality movie. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the director also controlled all his improv. A lot of these movies, they feel like just let the camera sit. It's the curse of what Will Ferrell suffers from, is when they just say, just let him go and film it or whatever, and then he's like, oh, you should have tightened this up a lot. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a thing with some people can improv, some people can improv very well, and then there's everyone else who they just turn the camera on and say act and just let us see what they did. Yeah, I think uh, the thing is about the, the the Biodome boys is that all their setups and their little things that they play around with are fucking stupid. Like, it just, it's not entertaining. At least in, in the army now, like, the improvs he has with Andy Dick are at least amusing. Yeah, it, it's, there's a huge difference between those two films and even just simply how the actors play off each other well yeah and also daniel petrie the guy who did in the army now was a you know he had a long history he'd already directed a bunch of movies uh he did toy soldiers which we highly enjoyed um but the guy who did uh uh jury duty and biodome those two guys they were brand new to film so they, it felt like one of those things were probably short chosen because he could just go hey i could have you fired at any moment you know yeah, or it's I'll give me my give my best friend at the moment a job. Yeah, it just it doesn't work for him. I think they really uh, did him in. The Curse of Inferno is the one that was the last of his MGM contract, and that got sold to HBO. It is out there. It's actually pretty good because he almost ditches everything you know about what Pauly Shore was doing at the time, and it has a little more of a serious edge. It's about a, it's about a heist gone wrong, and uh, like I said, it's free on Tubi, and you should check it out. But uh, we just didn't get around to watching it. Because um, I didn't know it was free until like two days ago, so whoops. Yeah, that would have been that would have been nice to have known. Because I would have definitely been interested to see a uh, far far different Holly Shore type uh, type film. Yeah. The um, anything you want to promote before we go? Uh, actually, not much. Currently, I'm not necessarily in between social media sites, but uh, we are uh, watching one social media site uh, co uh, collapse and burn upon itself. And another one that I'm on, but it's 
run by two people, I think, at the moment. They need to hire some more people because that's where everybody seems that we know in our groups are is going because it seems like now that the social medias are all split up, they're all very specific to certain things like post seems to be like news people, political people. Hive seems to be where all the movie nerdy people are going. What are the other ones? I, I feel like there's two uh, others. There's Mastodon, which I... Fucking tried. what? I tried too. I don't understand how that works. Is each specific server focused around a different topic? I don't understand that one. Yeah, I, I couldn't figure it out. I, I gave up in just trying to set the damn thing up. Yeah, and, I, and we're watching, like I said, a psychotic man baby who doesn't know what he's doing, thinks he knows what he's doing, lying about everything he's doing, and we're watching Twitter burn to the fucking ground. Um, so that's going to end eventually. I mean, I keep thinking I can get away from it, but I'm like a junkie where I constantly need information feed and I need to talk to my friends, and not all of them are over on my other ones. Instagram is just pictures. Yay, you can make a comment at best. And Facebook, well, that's just where all your friends and like your, your people who know you in real life are. Um, so it's a it's, it's different vibe. Yeah, I, my, my Facebook is my own. I don't necessarily share that beyond yeah 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 yeah. i'm not doing that either fuck no that's my private shit uh um so that's it uh no twitching no i i I think i'm done with twitch honestly i wanted to do it but i find myself playing these old school games on the raspberry pi and i just don't have the patience to continue because some of these are fucking beautiful games but they're brutal or they're really entertaining but it gives me motion sickness because the way the camera works i just don't think it's going to happen yeah, it's just I don't. I work too much to actually have a scheduled time to uh, just sit down and and play Twitch. Yeah. So. Alrighty, well that's it. Um, we'll be heading into the nineteen ninety four season any day now. Now I would say please please be patient between ninety three and ninety four. But I recorded so many fucking episodes in preparation of taking a break. <laughs> I still have like seven sitting in the <laughs> in in like the memory file to load up later. So. We're good. You're not going to notice a break. (laughs) All right, bye.